Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice. I'm Jeannie Rice, your co-host. We also have co-hosts Dr. Tim Hayes and Michelle Pichet. We will share with you the wisdom of the first century Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. We offer tools and support five days a week. We will support you in building a solid foundation within yourself to live in pure love in Aramaic, Brachma. Michael is the author of the book, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? For more information about the forgiveness process, please visit www.whyagain.org. And now, welcome to the show, Mind Shifters Radio. Hello and welcome to Mind Shifters Radio. I'm Tim Hayes. I'm your host for the first hour. And today is Thursday, June 22nd, 2023. As always, we're grateful to everyone who's joining us here today, whether you're listening live or through the archives, as we spend another couple of hours teaching and supporting people in using some of the most powerful, effective, efficient, and accessible tools I've ever encountered. These tools are available absolutely free through the tireless efforts of Dr. Michael and Jeannie Rice on the website, whyagain.org. If you go to that page and click on the two words that say start here in the upper left-hand corner, it will take you to a page where you can download and read Chapter 24 of Dr. Michael Rice's book. His book is titled, Why Is This Happening to Me Again?, And that chapter of that book contains a narrative description and explanation of the primary tool in this work. That tool is called the Reality Management Worksheet, sometimes called the Reality Management Wake-Up Sheet. And it's a tool I've been using to great effect for over 18 years to improve the quality of my life and most of my relationships and to turn any negative emotional experience I have into part of the infallible guidance system that each and every one of us has been given. You can also download the actual worksheet process itself. It's a simple PDF file. Click the link, download it, print it off, copy it as often as you'd like, and use it over and over again absolutely free. You can also go to your app store and type in the three words, Heartland Aramaic Forgiveness. If you do that before you're done typing the word forgiveness, you'll see the glowing heart icon. If you choose to tap on that, it will let you download a completely free and private app that contains the Reality Management Worksheet. It contains an abbreviated version of that worksheet process, and it contains a copy of the Dragon Klingon game, which is a wonderful way to introduce these tools to even younger audiences. You can also download a whole host of audio files of shows just like this one where people have been stepped through that worksheet process and or they've given powerful testimonials about how the use of these tools has improved their quality of life. And if you choose to listen to those, they can serve as a powerful tutorial for you to help you get maximum benefits from these tools in the shortest amount of time possible. We hope people do all of that soon and often, primarily because it's been our experience that it improves the quality of people's lives and relationships 
the more they actively apply these tools in their lives. And secondarily, because it tends to prompt comments, questions, answers, and testimonials. And if you have any of those to share with us, we would appreciate your doing so by giving us a call at 563-999-3581. When you call that number and press 1, You'll put the little icon of a hand by your phone number, and I'll see that you are there asking to be uh, led into the show, and we'll I'll turn on the microphone and announce you by your area code. And we can have a conversation. So please let us know how we can be of service to you, what is working, what isn't working, what particular questions you might have about this body of work or these tools, and... If you do that, it makes it far easier for us to live into our intention with this work. The intention with this work is simply to be of service. We've been reading through the essays from the book published by Christian Sundberg, probably not specifically written by him. He talks about getting guidance basically channeling much of the content, etc. And the book is titled, A Walk in the Physical. And one section of that book contains a host of essays, and we've been reading through them as they seem relevant to our work here. And yesterday I was reading one and talking about how it is encouraging us to strengthen our ability to act in whatever way is best for the greater good, even when it seems to carry a high price for us personally. And um, and that led to the um, comments about... Um, Learning to follow, trust my gut, my intuition, my gut instinct, and learning to follow it, even when it is telling me to do something that's quite uh, challenging to do. And I have um, had a number of circumstances in my life where that was the case. I think I I was... um, I count myself as very blessed and fortunate to have had parents who lived that model. Do what's right even when it's the difficult thing to do. Do what's right even if it isn't so much fun for you. And then, based on that modeling that I had from those people that raised me and that I respected so much... uh, it it kind of set me up to resonate most deeply with psychological and spiritual teachings that aligned with the same position. The idea that if I'm acting uh, as though I'm isolated from the world, if I'm acting as though I'm better than somebody, if I'm doing something from a selfish perspective it isn't really going to work out so well for me. It's not going to work out well for others, but primarily for me. It might seem in the short term 
that my uh, goals are met or my needs are met. And yet, perhaps just because of the way I was programmed as as a child, um, it never works out long term for me to choose the selfish approach or perspective. So um, I was encouraging us yesterday to do our own level of introspection and review about our life situation and situations where we might have ignored our insider intuition or gut hunch and review situations where I have done the thing that was challenging and difficult and review it, you know, a good period of time later just to make sure, is this working out for me? And um, I've had a couple different life situations from the business perspective where certainly from the way the culture teaches it or if I look just at the bottom line financially um, what I ended up doing was not the smart thing to do and yet I can honestly say that when I do those things from the motivation of um, I'm just trying to stay true to my values, morals, priorities, ethics, whatever you want to call it, and function in a way that I would like to have someone function around me or towards me. When I do that, even though it's carried a um, a pretty heavy price tag in terms of finances, in terms of um, relationships, in terms of um, you know potential growth. When I look back on it enough years later, I have the validation that this was the right thing to do. Never easy, but that's one of those phrases that I'm not sure I ever heard my parents say it, but I I grew up thinking, you know, do the right thing even if it's hard. And some might say that I'm the kind of person who says, do the right thing, especially if it's hard. Because sometimes people look at how I choose to respond in situations, and and their assessment is I didn't have to, to do it that way. I could have done it easier, and I could have bent my values or priorities a little bit without breaking them, and, and then I still could have benefited financially, et cetera. So we were just extending the invitation yesterday for all of us to take a look at that because the last essay I read said we're we're here to grow in two ways. One way is to grow in our capacity to be able to do the right thing even when it's difficult and or it's going to, quote, cost us, close quotes. 
from the way we look at it with our egoic perspective or our conscious logical perspective. And and the challenge and, and the invitation is to learn to grow, to be more generous with others, and to be better at setting personal limits so that you don't, you know, give away things to the point where you deplete your own resources and your own mental and physical health. The challenge is to grow in the way of being able to stand up for what you know seems to be the right thing for you and grow in the way of letting go of the need to be right and just releasing and allowing. So on each of these many, many dimensions are challenges to grow in the ability to do either action of what would seem to be a bipolar, uh, you know, a dichotomous situation. That's the first way to grow. The second way to grow is to be looking at our values, our morals, our priorities, our ethics, whatever you want to call it, as we make decisions and then evaluate over time, did I make this decision in alignment with my values and priorities and how did it work out? And over time, through experience, trial and error, slips and falls, successes, whatever you want to call it, I accumulate personal first-hand experience about what's best for me and the whole and, and everyone around me. And that's the second way I grow in this area is I grow in the wisdom about which action to apply in a given circumstance. So the idea is I grow in the ability to do things at every level and I grow in my wisdom about how to choose which thing I'm going to do in a given situation and that it's always going to be within context. So that's where we left off yesterday and there's plenty of time for comments or questions today if anybody has anything to add or question or a different perspective you'd like to explore. I mentioned that as I read this, I, the first uh, when I read it on Monday, I had um, I had the experience of some strong emotions. <clears throat> excuse me, some strong emotions come up when I read the part. It says we grow in our ability to make the best choice for the betterment of others, and we refine our ability to identify and select that choice even when the circumstances are complex and even when the personal costs may be great. And I read that and I had very strong emotions come up. And in this work and on the support groups and on the MindShifters radio show, one of the things that is critical is that we pay attention to those emotions that we create with our thoughts or that get resonated 
by the interpretation that I place on the words I read or the interactions I have with other people. And as I explored this, it it became clear to me that there are some more worksheets to do about some relationships where I've held what seemed to me to be the appropriate healthy boundary, and it's meant a loss of that relationship, a loss of a pattern of interaction that had gone on for years that at some level was gratifying to me, or I wouldn't have kept doing it. And another level of the energy is related to all the people I know in my life right now who are struggling with extremely challenging circumstances, whether that's stage four cancer or in ICU in a hospital or going through a divorce they don't want or dealing with serious physical illness financial burden and or they're stuck in a relationship that's unsatisfying and I have access through the course of my private practice and friends and extended family to people going through all of those things right now and some of that emotion clearly is about that because I feel it when I'm interacting with those patients or those friends or those family members. And in those situations, I usually choose to just stay with the feeling and keep my breath moving. And often I don't feel the need to go do in a worksheet because it's in the moment and I'm staying with it. And I'm using... The, the experience of the energy of these various emotions to stay connected to the situation. And if the emotions get too intense and they start to shut off my logic or I start to dissociate, that's when I want to start doing an EFT tapping or a reality management worksheet or a breath session. So as I mentioned before, as I continue to do worksheets on that, I will uh, report on progress. Moving forward, essay number 116 is titled, We Will Get There. And the essay reads, Near-death experiencers often describe that sense that everything is in perfect order. And one may ask, how can this be given all the apparent destruction and suffering in the world? The statement, everything is in perfect order, as a statement of fact, does not mean that we're expressing love in the most optimal way yet. This essay says, we knowingly came into a very difficult constraint set, which is the physical universe, and we came here to refine our ability to make love-based choices rather than fear-based choices. And to to make those love-based choices and to grow in the ability to do that within a challenging environment. 
statement here is we have a long way to go. Each of us still often make choices based out of fear rather than love. But because of the, quote, divine law, close quote, that source, the source of everything, the creative energy, the the one intelligence has in place, because of that, we will get there. Whether we get there quickly or slowly is depending upon our own choices. And the process is unfolding successfully. And it's a real system. Real beings are making free will choices. And that can get apparently messy. The messiness is a price that we are willing to pay to participate in such an amazing endeavor of creative expansion. Again, I like to mention when we hear the phrase like that in a book like this, that that's exactly like what Abraham Hicks talks about. When they say, you who are in physical form as a human being, you are at the cutting edge of creation. You're expanding through lived experience. This essay goes on and says, if you want to put this in religious language, you say, God's plan cannot fail. It says, we all choose every day how readily we will work with it or not, and yet it cannot fail. The spiritual systems that are in place do over time, encourage each of us to actually grow towards love and to integrate our fears and to fully express ourselves in a huge variety of conditions. And as we do that, the plan of God, the creator, life itself, is fulfilled. And despite how circumstances may appear on the surface, we are doing that right now. So take heart, have hope, and be encouraged. There is great opportunity and power in any given moment to choose love and compassion, even in the simplest of ways. And as you do so, as a part of the one all-being, all-knowing, all-connected, as a part of that yourself, you actually facilitate the successful fulfillment of the great plan for this universe. Now, I've worked with, I've had in my networking groups and in my office and my friends and my family, I I work with people that say there's no plan, this is all random, and the only reason for being here is how much pleasure you can get out of it, so take what you can and leave the rest, and, and there is no great plan. There is no guiding intelligence, etc. And they're living their lives the way they want to live their lives. Bless their hearts. Maybe they're right. When you're drawn to a teaching like this, 
it's because this makes more sense to you. So you're going to live your life according to this set of thoughts and interpretations. If it works well for you, if it leads you to be more compassionate, more joyful, appreciate your life more, etc., keep doing it. If it doesn't, my invitation would be choose again. Choose for something else. Find a different teaching. Find a different technique. I was recently um, listening to a podcast from the uh, We Can Do Hard Things podcast, and they were talking about a breath work they did where they were all getting very similar claw-like spasms in their hands and um, dizziness and things like that, and they just loved it. They thought it was very, real, real powerful. And we looked it up, and it probably was holotropic breath work. And it's just a very different type of breath work than the connected breathing that Michael Rice would recommend or it's even different than um, Wim Hof's breathing technique. It's different than the deep relaxing breath work I encourage people to do that stimulates the parasympathetic. So if it works for them and they like the results, the invitation should be keep doing it. If you find that it isn't working so well for you and you want a different kind of results, the invitation should be, I think the invitation should be, keep looking, find something else. There's no shortage of techniques and teachers and tools and it it makes really good sense to me to keep working with various tools until you find something that helps you so that you're spending more of your life in a state that seems at least content, if not blissful. And... Um, it, it never <clears throat> never resonated well for me. But there are schools of thought out there that say, you know, you're here to suffer and atone for past sins, and the more you go through suffering and offer it up for your, you know, past sins, then the better you'll have it in the next life or when you get to heaven or whatever. And again, if people find that resonates for them, I say, you know, have at it. But it's never really resonated well for me. It does resonate for me that this is a miracle of life. Like the song Holy Now by Peter Mayer where the lyrics say, it's not hard to find miracles. Miracles are everywhere now. The the hardest thing is to find where there isn't a miracle. It's a miracle that anything is here at all. And being in a state where you can see and appreciate the miraculous, to my experience, is very desirable, is preferable to being in the pain or the fear or the sadness or the hurt, or the guilt, or the shame, or the judgment at any level. 
Essay 117 is titled, Goodness Can't Help But Win. And this, I know, is going to stir some stuff for people because they'll look around them and they'll see all kinds of examples where the badness is winning, the violence is winning. Right? I was just listening to a, um, an NPR thing this morning as I was driving about how there's an epidemic of gun violence and the youth are sick of it and 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 there are ways to curb it but we're not doing them so people like that if they're looking at what's going on in that world right now within that at at that level of scale they're not going to like an essay like this it's brief but it says goodness can't help but win and the essay reads no matter what happens life ends up using it for the good There is no loss that is not eventually followed by the victory of life, which becomes more through that loss. No matter the loss, failure, or destruction, there is always some good that comes into being afterward as a result. This is the nature of permanent life versus impermanent change. Everything that happens within beingness occurs for beingness's sake. There is no circumstance that can overcome beingness nor escape use in the evolution of beingness. So while the churning and changing circumstance may seem to burn us, we can never be lost and we can never truly fail. This means that we do not ever have to surrender to the feeling of defeat. We can, and we don't have to. And, you know, as I read that, I think about a number of years ago now, maybe maybe 10 years or so ago, I was at a, a luncheon for speakers, and I was... I'm somebody who had been the executive director for this professional speakers group for a number of years. And there was a nice large meeting this time. There were probably 50 or 60 people in this banquet room having lunch at these, you know, 10 top tables, eight top tables. And in the middle of this, people's phones started lighting up because there had been a school shooting out east. It might have been Sandy Hook, but anyway, there was a, a shooting and one person with a gun went into a school and shot up a whole bunch of students and teachers killing quite a few people and the talk that erupted about how horrible this is and oh my god what's the world coming to and because the people that were there were of a certain age that we didn't have any 20 year olds and very few 30 year olds there so people had gotten to a certain age and they were just they were primed to go into the negative direction. And I stood up and basically, you know, pulled rank and said, please, everybody listen to me. This is not a good thing that happened, but that's one person with a gun. Right now, 
hundreds of thousands of people are sending prayers therapists are driving there to donate their time people are you know working overtime to help heal those that can be healed the love the financial resources that are going to get poured into this there's far more good going on in the world in every given moment than there is negative and it's like Mr. Rogers' mother used to say from Mr. Rogers' neighborhood, look for the helpers. Choose the filter that has you looking for what's good. It doesn't have you ignoring what's bad. These people who are volunteering their time as therapists and working overtime in, in the emergency rooms to patch these people up that can be patched up and these people that are bringing food to the family they're acknowledging there's this thing that happened it's very disruptive it's nothing we would choose but there's far more people choosing love choosing joy choosing to help choosing to donate their time intelligence money and energy than there are ever going to be people who from whatever state of woundedness they're in pick up a gun and start shooting people and as Michael Rice talks about in his lecture where he's talking about energy resonating, and he talks about what happens when we hear that somebody was abusing a child. What do people want to do? They want to go abuse the abuser. And now I'm pouring this abusive, angry energy out into the field. And if it gets broadcast on all of these radio and television shows, it's going into people's houses and people are getting stirred up and all of these people in this soup of energetic connection that we live in, they start turning their energy toward bitterness and resentment and revenge and abuse. And then here's a person who maybe had some abuse earlier in their life, but they would never consciously choose it, and they're living their life, and the energy starts resonating about abuse and vengeance and 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 they act abusively because now the energy is resonating with them or they're thinking more, feeling more impacted by that energy flow. I don't know if that can actually be true, but Dr. Michael Rice talks about it from his studies. It's an energetic world and everything is connected. So I was raised in a loving family. I have the capacity to choose for love. I've been working to strengthen it. So that makes more sense to me. Choose for the love. Choose for the interpretation that's positive. Choose a filter that says every person is doing the best they can in each moment with whatever resources they have. And that anything that comes out of a person, like the way of mastery tells us, that's less than love is a cry for help and healing. That everyone in every moment is either acting from their true nature as love or You could choose to understand that whatever behavior they're doing that's less than loving is literally a cry for help and healing. It's literally a demonstration that this person doesn't know how to get anything they might possibly need in life without hurting somebody else. They don't know in that moment. They're not living from the realization of their brilliance and light.
And yet everyone in a body is conscious, has connection to their true nature as a being of brilliance and light, and they're either acting from that and it becomes blatantly obvious and you love to be around those people unless you're too severely wounded, or you you witness tension or judgment or bitterness or anger coming from these people and you can put the filter on that says, oh, here's a being of brilliance and light who has either temporarily forgotten or yet to discover their brilliance. Let me share with them what I know about our collective true nature. Let me shine that light of brilliance and love that is also true for them. Let me shine that light from me toward them. Let me act in a way that lets them know I don't believe that they're anything less than love extending in form. Essay 118 is titled, The Message, The Spiritual Message of Empowerment. And the essay reads, The spiritual message is one of empowerment. This is because powerlessness is just a non-fundamental experience, while freedom and power are enduring truths. Spirituality is about moving towards what actually is. This is why Guy Finley says, there's nothing more practical than true spirituality. The essay continues, since freedom and power are our true inalienable nature, true spirituality naturally moves toward freedom and power. But because we have fear, we resist our experience in a myriad of ways. We use our ideas and our will to set up many boundaries and to block our own experience. We even use ideas about spirituality to do this. We create the sense that we have lost power. We seem to lose the powerful truth as we assign it to the powerless form. But again, we're using that same power. We're using the same power of choice. We're using the same energy of creation, whether we're choosing for fear or we're choosing for love, whether we're choosing for power and freedom or we're choosing for powerlessness and restriction. We are creating our experience of life. And we're using the same creative force whether we point it towards positive thoughts and blissful states or negative thoughts and painful states. The essay goes on and says, can life itself be repressed? Can life itself be repressed? Well, it can choose to express itself through a great variety of conditions and within a great variety of constraints, and those conditions and constraints can change, but life itself is totally free. Spirituality is about that true nature of life. 
It's about allowing it. It's about knowing it. And it's about becoming it. Not just about the nature of the forms and constraints that life expresses. Spirit transcends form. Thus, no form can ever truly convey its breadth and depth. And yet, as life seeks to express itself through creations, it can strive to reflect its ineffable and inalienable qualities through those forms. Those qualities, among many others, are these. Ultimate love, ultimate joy, ultimate peace, ultimate power, and ultimate freedom. And thus, the spiritual message itself is one of ultimate joy, love, peace, power, and freedom. This doesn't mean we are all choosing to experience that every moment. It means the ability to choose is in every one of us. This is not what I was taught as a child. And yet, the more I practice it, the more I experiment with it, the more I observe as I do this practice or that practice, the more I see the truth of this. Essay 119 is one of my favorite titles in these essays, and it says, You are worthy. And when I read this one, I want to go back and read the first two paragraphs from The Way of Mastery Lesson 3. We may get to that later. But this essay says, You are worthy of love. You're not only worthy of it, it is native to what you truly are. You're made of this stuff we call love. You you come from love. You're made of this stuff we call love. You actually are love. You are the energy of creation expressing in form. Everything else is false. This essay says, you are worthy of love. Not only that, you're not just worthy of love. The energy of love is native to what you truly are. You, specifically you, are cherished, adored, and celebrated. And despite what you may believe or what you may think about yourself, you are deserving of that love. Religious ideology often teaches that we must earn God's favor or acceptance. And in parentheses it says, God, by whatever term you want to call him, her, it, them. Close parentheses. That we must earn the creator's favor or acceptance through our action or our belief. That's what many religious ideologies teach. This essay wants to put out the idea that that is not true. And this isn't the only place you'll find that. Most Eastern teachings, a lot of deep philosophies, from Vasitha's yoga all the way through many other scriptures, this is not true. The essay goes on and says, 
Unconditional love is just that. It's love without any conditions. It's love in all conditions, in all circumstances. It's energy of creation extending, which is the only thing it can do. Love, energy of creation, can only extend. It can't contract. The essay goes on and says, but God's love is not just unconditional in a general way. God is unconditionally loving even with full knowledge of all your personal failings and imperfections. Imagine the depths of love necessary to completely and fully extend love to you even as you perform your darkest act. And only then would you even begin to just barely touch the understanding of the fullness of the Creator's love. No matter what you've suffered, what you've endured, or what you've done, you are personally, specifically loved, cherished, adored, celebrated, and upheld. You're celebrated, adored, and cherished, and upheld just for being who you are. Here's an invitation. Allow yourself to feel this right now. Let go of all your self-judgments, all your preconceptions, all your stresses, and feel it deep within you now. Let go and allow yourself to feel and remember that you are profoundly, deeply cherished and loved. Though The human journey is long and filled with the obfuscation of physical life, meaning the obstruction, the hurdles, the blockages, the filters of human life. Though that happens, your deepest being remembers who and what you are. Your deepest being yearns for that energy of creation that we call love that you've never lost. Can you feel it? Even if it's just a precious little glimmer? When we know this about ourselves, when we know with confidence that we are loved and celebrated, really feel it, really understand it, realize it, How much better can we express love in our world? How much better can we shine the light to each other when we know that the source of all life completely adores, allows, accepts, embraces, loves us personally as we are in this moment with all of our foibles, with all of our missteps, with all of what we would call our shortcomings or failures? The essay goes on and says, For indeed, even as we seem to get lost in the fog of circumstance, it is by shining our light that the other person may remember the love that exists for them. It is by our kindness and compassion that the other person may be reminded of the kindness and compassion that never ceases. 
the same kindness and compassion that feeds and fuels their very existence. We have the profound honor of having the opportunity to shine the light of love to each other in a place where we seem to have forgotten it. Many millions of beings yearn for this opportunity, yet you and I have it right now today. What opportunity is that? The opportunity to choose joy, choose love, choose aliveness, and choose to extend that energy of love and creation in every interaction you have with every person and thing. The essay concludes with a paragraph that says, So remember today, this very day, that you are worthy of the love of the source of all creation. And as you do so, let that light shine out from you to everyone around you. Let that light remind them that they too are worthy, no matter how messy their life may seem. For as you shine the light of love to others and remind them of who they really are, you help facilitate the great plan of bringing the foundational energy of love and the love of being itself into this reality. You're extending the creative energy in this moment. As we talked about from the way of mastery in lesson four, there's a point where it says, please remember your true nature. Remember who and what you are. Remember that you're not defined by your height or weight or gender or political belief. You're not defined by what you've done in the world. You're not defined by what you might do by using your intelligence or your resources or your money in a certain way. Page 39 in Lesson 3 of the Way of Mastery, it says, I am my father's child and I'm sent into this world to bring light to it. Same message as we're getting from Christian Sundberg's book, a walk in the physical. In lesson four in the way of mastery, it says, when next someone asks you, who are you? Please do not give them a name. Do not say, well, I was born in a certain town, a certain part of the planet. Do not tell them that you are a Democrat or a Republican or a communist or an atheist or a Catholic. Tell them the truth. Take a deep breath, get centered and tell them, who am I? I am the extension of love in form. I have never been born, and I will never taste death. I am infinite and eternal, and I shine forth as a sunbeam to the sun. I am the effect of God's love, of the Creator's love, of the love of creation, the energy of creation expressing in form, and I stand before you to love you. 
and the two paragraphs that begin the third lesson and I say to people this is this is what I like to say when people say so what what's the book you're reading this way of mastery I say it's a kinder gentler version of the course in miracles and I say what do you mean by that and I say well here's an example the first two paragraphs from lesson three the title of the lesson is the power of forgiveness and the way of mastery lesson three begins with if I search the languages of your world I cannot find the words that can convey the love that I feel for you I cannot find the words that can convey unto you the love that the Creator has for all of us. I cannot find a concept, a word, an idea, a philosophy, or a dogma that can contain the mystery that is closer to you than your own breath and that awaits your discovery. If I search through all the mansions of creation, if I search through all the mansions that exist within the domains of my Father's creation, and that creation is infinite, try as I might, I cannot discover anything that can truly describe you. I cannot find anything that is of greater value than you. In truth, I cannot discover anything that speaks more eloquently of the love that God is than your very existence. Therefore, in truth, I look upon you constantly and I marvel at the radiance of my Father's love. It is literally, actually, through you that I come to discover all that God is, all that creation is, all that life is, is through you that I discover all that life is. Just the first two paragraphs of that lesson, and that's why I, I refer to the way of mastery. It's just one example of how I refer to the way of mastery as kinder, gentler version of the Course in Miracles. The same essential message that we're reading in so many different places, whether it's a course of love or it's a Course in Miracles or the Way of Mastery or Jesus My Autobiography or Pema Children's work. Sunberg, that last last essay that I read, 119, you are worthy. You are worthy of being cherished. You are worthy of the love of God, of love of creation. You're worthy because you exist. You, specifically you, are cherished, adored, and celebrated. And despite what you may believe or what you may think about yourself, you are deserving of that energy of love being extended through you, giving you existence. 
the religious ideology often teaches that you're not you're not worthy and you have to do certain things and act through belief and profess belief in order to be worthy and that's not true according to this teaching this teaching goes on to say no matter what you've suffered what you've endured or what you've done you personally you listening to this are cherished adored celebrated and upheld and you're being celebrated adored cherished and upheld for being exactly who and what you are there's an invitation here to allow yourself to feel this right now to let go of all your self-judgments all your preconceptions all your stresses and feel the truth of these statements deep within you right now let go and allow yourself to feel and remember that you are profoundly deeply cherished adored and appreciated even though the human journey is long and filled with ways situations and constraints that obscure that from our view your deepest being knows the truth of you and longs to bring that memory back active in you when we know this about ourselves when we know deep in our bones with confidence that we are celebrated and adored and cherished then we can express that love in the world far more clearly more powerfully more easily for indeed as we seem to get lost in the fog of circumstance even then it's possible for us to shine our light and the more we shine our light the more we hold the direct observation of our true nature is love and we see others as the extension of love in form it makes it much more likely that they will remember their true nature again there's this law of resonance it's all just energy and the truth of their being is there for them to find to see to live from last paragraph says so remember today this very day that you are worthy of being cherished and adored and upheld by the source of all creation and as you remember that let that energy shine out through you shine to everyone around you and let it remind them that they too are worthy no matter how messy their life may seem for as you shine the light of love to others and you remind them of who they really are you help facilitate the great plan of bringing the foundational love of being into this reality so that's our first hour for today I will remind us all that we come from love we're made of the stuff we call love we actually are love and everything else is false welcome Jeannie Rice thank you Dr. Tam I appreciate you're quite welcome and deserving have a wonderful show thank you so welcome everybody to the second hour of Mindshifters Radio. Today is Thursday, June the twenty second, twenty twenty three. Our calling number is five six three nine 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 three five eight one. 
and press 1. And that puts you into queue to talk to us. And we would love to hear your comments and questions because that makes this your show. And while we're waiting on Michael to dial in, I'll just invite you to go to the website and under schedule and then under flyers uh, and publicity and intensive brochures, you'll see we have intuitive development intensive listed. The date has not been set and the cost has not been set, but there is the information. We'll be doing it three hours each day for two days a week for 10 weeks. That's a total of 60 hours, and this course uh, includes a before and after personal code evaluation, which reveals the areas for growth and opportunity, plus the workshop, workshop materials that are listed above, and links to both our private Facebook page called Healing Through Food and a private Trello app, which has 14 weeks of live food menus and recipes. And there's my email if you're interested to reserve your space uh, to email me and let me know. And then there's also a, a link to download the flyer. Uh, it will include the Why Is This Happening to Me Again, which forgiveness and removing the blocks that keep you from tapping into your intuition, which is your inner tutor. That's always primary in every intensive we do. Then we'll be doing the three early memories and how my healing will look. Mind shifters and still point breathing, and then of course the intuitive development portion of it. So I'm still working on that page, but I've got it out there so you can tap into some of the information and uh, let us know if you are interested in that. And uh, I will continue reading out of The Untethered Soul by Michael Singer, and we are actually in the third part called Freeing Yourself, and chapter eight. Is titled, Let Go Now or Fall. So the exploration of self, and that's with a capital S, is inextricably interwoven with the unfolding of one's life. The natural ups and downs of life can either generate personal growth or create personal fears. Which of these dominates is completely dependent upon how we view change. Change can be viewed as either exciting or frightening, but regardless of how we view it, we must all face the fact that change is the very nature of life. If you have a lot of fear, you won't like change. You'll try to create a world around you that is predictable, controllable, and definable. You'll try to create a world that doesn't stimulate or trigger your fears. Fear doesn't want to feel itself. It's actually afraid of itself. So you utilize the mind in an attempt to manipulate life for the purpose of not feeling fear. People don't understand that fear is a thing. It's just another object of the universe that you are capable of experiencing. You can do one of the two things with fear. You can recognize that you have it and work to release it. Or you can keep it and try to hide from it. You know, we've talked before that Rook of the Kitchen is the power that's within, that um, it can help release and guide us um, and correct errors. However, you know, we are not puppets on the strength and we have free will. So we can choose to hang on 
or we can choose to let go. And the letting go is done through forgiveness. So, you know, and and I have done personally the trying to keep everything in my world predictable and controllable and definable to keep from looking at what triggered my fear in the past. And, you know, we have a tendency to take a current situation and take past experiences and make it current. And that's all done through, you know, what we have stored in us. And so forgiveness is how we can release and let go of those goals to be safe, the goals not have fear but to be at peace. You know, we can let those goals go and see what's underlying it. And when you say, well, why would you want to let it go? Well, you know, we are creators. And so if there's something that you want, why have you not created it? It's because there's a part of you that either believes you can't have it, you don't deserve it, or whatever. And so we have to uh, be willing to look at the past as it comes forward and to release what's underlying it so that we can actually create what we want to create. So you um, you can either recognize it, work through it, release it, or you can keep it and try to hide from it. And Rooka won't take it from you if you choose to keep it. That's why on our worksheets, the part of asking Rooka to help you to release and let go and, and maintain love and all that comes after you have released. You have to be willing to let it go before you can ask Rooka to help you with it because Rooka won't make you let it go. Kind of like, you know, I use the example of the GPS in your car, you're on a trip. And GPS has picked what it figures is the quickest and the easiest and the best way to get from point A to point So, you know, you have free will, though. You can choose to turn down 1st Street instead of 10th Street. And the GPS doesn't jump out of your phone or off your dash and, and beat you up for making a wrong choice. It'll wait, and then it'll say recalculating. And it'll figure another route from where you are to where you want to go. And so, you know, that's how Rooka is. You know, it's, it knows their best, best path, and it will guide us and direct us, but it won't force us to. We can choose to go a different way if, if that's what we want to do. So because people don't deal with fear objectively, they don't understand it. They end up keeping their fear and trying to prevent things from happening that would stimulate it. They go through life attempting to create safety and control by defining how they need life to be in order to be okay. This is how the world becomes frightening. This may not sound frightening. It may sound safe, but it's not. If you do this, the world truly becomes threatening. Life becomes a me-against-it situation. When you have fear insecurity or weakness inside of you and you attempt to keep it from being stimulated, there will inevitably be events and changes in life that challenge your efforts. Because you resist these changes, you feel you are struggling with life. You feel like this person is not behaving the way they should or this event is not unfolding the way you want. You see situations that happened in the past as disturbing and you see things down the road as potential problems. Your definitions of desirable and undesirable, as well as good and bad, all come about because you have defined how things need to be in order for you to be okay. We all know that we're doing this, but nobody questions it. 
We think we're supposed to figure out how life should be and then make it that way. Only someone who looks deeper and questions why we need the events of life to be a particular way will question this assumption. How did we come up with the notion that life is not okay just the way it is or that it won't be okay the way that it will be? Who said that the way life naturally unfolds is not all right? The answer is fear says no. The part of you inside that's not okay with itself can't face the natural unfolding of life because it's not under your control. If life unfolds in a way that stimulates your inner problems, then by definition, it's not okay. It's really very simple. That which doesn't disturb you is okay, and that which disturbs you is not. We define the entire scope of our outer experience based on our inner problems. If you want to grow spiritually, you have to change that. If you are defining creation based upon the most messed up part of your being, what do you expect creation to look like? It's going to look like a frightful mess, a frightful mess. As you grow spiritually, you will realize that your attempts to protect yourself from your problems actually creates more problems. If you attempt to arrange people and places and things so that they don't disturb you, it will bring it will begin to feel like life is against you. You'll feel that life is a struggle and that every day is heavy because you have to control and fight with everything. There will be competition, jealousy, and fear. You will feel that anyone at any moment could cause you disturbance. All they have to do is say or do one thing, and the next thing you know, there's disturbance inside of you. That makes life a threat. That's why you have to worry so much. That's why you have all these dialogues going on inside your mind. You're either trying to figure it out, how to keep things from happening, or you're trying to figure out what to do because they did happen. You're fighting with creation, and that's what makes creation itself the most frightening thing in your life. The alternative is to decide not to fight with you. realize and accept that life is not under your control. Life is continuously changing, and you're trying to control it. You'll never be able to fully live it. Instead of living life, you'll be afraid of life. But once you've decided not to fight with life, you'll have to face the fear that's causing you to fight. Fortunately, you don't have to keep this fear inside of you. There is such a thing as a life without fear. In order to relate to this possibility, you must first have a deeper understanding of fear itself. When you have fear inside of you, the events of life invariably stimulate it, like a rock thrown into water. The world with its continuous changes creates ripples in whatever is held within you. There's nothing wrong with that. Life creates situations that push you to your edge, all with the effect of removing what is blocked inside of you. That which is blocked and buried within you forms the root of fear. Fear is caused by blockages in the flow of your energy. When your energy is blocked, it can't come up and feed your heart. Therefore, your heart becomes weak. When your heart is weak, it becomes susceptible to lower vibrations. And one of the lowest of all vibrations is fear. Fear is the cause of every problem. It's the root of all prejudices and the negative emotions of anger, jealousy, and possessiveness. 
If you had no fear, you could be perfectly happy living in this world. Nothing would bother you. You'd be willing to face everything and everyone because you wouldn't have fear inside of you that could cause you disturbance. The purpose of spiritual evolution is to remove the blockages that cause you fear. The alternative is to protect your blockages so that you don't have to feel fear. To do this, however, you have to try to control everything in order to avoid your inner issues. It's hard to understand how we decided that avoiding your inner issues is an intelligent thing to do, but everyone's doing it. Everyone is saying, I will do every single thing I can to keep my stuff. If you say anything that disturbs me, I will defend myself. I'll yell at you. I'll make you take it back. If you cause any disbalance, uh, disturbance inside of me, I will make you say sorry. In other words, if somebody does something that stimulates fear, you think they did something wrong. You then do everything you can to make sure that they never do it again. First you defend yourself and then you protect yourself. You do whatever you can to keep from feeling disturbance. Eventually, you'll become wise enough to realize that you do not want that stuff inside of you. It doesn't matter who stimulates it. It doesn't matter what situation hits it. It doesn't matter whether it makes sense or whether it seems fair or not. Unfortunately, most of us are not that wise. We really, we're really not trying to be free of our stuff. We're trying to justify keeping it. Now, I'll stop right there and see if Michael has anything to add to that or if he wants me to keep reading. Welcome, Mike. Well, a, a couple of thoughts, sweetie. Thank you, dear heart, and welcome, everybody. A, a couple of thoughts, because the, the, the normal language of the world turns everything that's true backward. And you'll notice that part of the language here was those things that happen that cause fear. And that's exactly 180 degrees out of phase with the truth. But as long as we hold that belief, we'll think that it's the things in our lives that cause our fear rather than the holding to fear is what sets up the energy to draw those situations that we say bring up our, or scare us, are the cause of our fear. So the reversal, I think, is really important in tapping into the truth of who we are as human beings, and being able to own the fact that our mind is steeped in fear is the gateway to being able to weaken the energy of fear that probably comes from a thousand generations of terror and trauma. You know, the, with all the stuff in the world about violence and such, and there's some pretty crazy stuff going on, Sadly, we are probably, sadly and fortunately, we are probably at one of the most peaceful times on the earth that's ever been. You look at, you know, our earliest ancestors and, you know, you didn't know if, you know, a lion was coming out of the bushes or, a, you know, a, a rabid dog or, you know, whatever. The kinds of things that uh, for centuries people have been holding to fear about and not recognizing that fear is the block to bringing forward the solution and the cause 
literally on an energetic level, you know, when you recognize we, we live in a world of resonance, and, and that law of resonance, if you're not familiar with it, simply stated, says this. When two energy fields are in tune or in harmony with each other, there is an exchange of energy between them. You know, if I set up a frequency with my voice that you have brain cells for, like don't think about the color of your car, by saying those words, that frequency coming out of my mouth causes air molecules to vibrate, whether you're in the room with me or we have to go through speakers and towers and who knows, maybe you're on the other side of the world, but it's all just frequency. And when those air molecules hit your ear and cause the eardrum to move, and that eardrum creates a, a frequency that causes brain cells to fire, this happens by that law of resonance. It's a law of energy exchange. So the law of resonance says that when two fields are in tune or in resonance, in harmony, have a similar frequency, there's an exchange of information between them. Don't think about the color of your car. Brain cells fire and up comes the color of your car or whatever the frequency is that I engage in with my voice. If we have two baby grand pianos and we open the back on each piano and you go over and pound out a middle C on one of those pianos, you can go over and look inside of the second middle C piano. And I, and I don't know if Julie's listening, she could probably tell us how many strings there are. I don't even know whether the, the number of strings in pianos varies from one to another. I would assume it does, but whatever it is, if you pound out a middle C and you look inside of the second piano, you'll see that the only strings that will be moving in the second untouched piano will be those associated with the middle C. That's resonance, exchange of information. Now, when it comes to the human realm, there's another feature added by this law of resonance, and that is that there is an attraction or a movement toward those who hold similar energetic patterns. So if I pound on middle C on one piano, the other piano is not going to come over and jump up on top of the first one. But if a human fires a certain set of brain cells, let's say those associated with fear, then through exactly the same law as the strings in the piano moving, the second person will tend to have fear move within them. Nobody has to say a word. It's just, you know, when I hit the middle C piano uh, on one piano, I don't have to go to the other piano and say, okay, now all you middle C strings start to vibrate. It's just an energy exchange. Well, in precisely the same way, nobody has to say a word if fear is moving in person one and person two has a similar energetic pattern within them, then fear is going to move in that second person. If fear moves in that second person and there is an alignment between the two, then that second person in fear is going to tend to come closer to, come into relationship with the person who has the attractive resonating frequency. 
Now, you say, well, but fear isn't attractive. When I say attractive, I mean those frequencies which draw us together. You know, why in the presence of one person do I respond one way and I'm in the presence of someone else and it just all of a sudden there's a whole different thing happening in my mind? It's all got to do, it all has to do with resonance. So in the human realm, resonance creates a draw, a motion toward each other. We've heard it said this way, birds of a feather flock together. People of similar energetic patterns tend to draw themselves to each other and then tend to draw out behaviors within each other. If fear is the underlying hidden, especially if it's a hidden energy, because each time you attempt to hide something, as Michael's talking about in his book, each time you attempt to hide something, what are you doing? You're adding energy to it. You're pushing down on it. By pushing down on it, you're adding energy to it, and that just strengthens literally the energetic pattern that sends out that energy wave. And people say, well, well, if that were true, then we'd be able to see those energy waves. Well, come on, let's not be silly here. You know, I'm in a room right now, and I can't see one television frequency. But you know what? If I turn my television on, I'll probably be able to watch a thousand different ones. It's all right here. It's all frequency. It's all energy. Why does this particular station, i.e. the horror movie, or the movie of sweetness come through this particular TV because the TV is attuned to that frequency. Forgiveness is about changing what you are attuned to. And the idea here is to prepare your instrument, your form, your body-mind unit to be an instrument that's fit for the expression of your human life. And if you ever have any doubt about what a human life is, just hold a newborn child and tap into the essence of that newborn. You will discover that the newborn is not loving you, but that the newborn is love. When you start showing up in your own mind, then you set up a different frequency. You're not hitting a middle C on the piano anymore. You're hitting a middle A. Now what moves in the people around you? Frequencies associated with the middle A. Now go downtown and get in with the quote-unquote wrong crowd that's playing middle C and watch how long it takes for somebody to attack you. And you don't have to say a word. In some interesting research, and it's been repeated, where they've gone into a prison and they kind of reverse the uh, the lineup, you know, usually you see a police lineup and there's somebody behind a, a two-way mirror and they're observing suspected criminals in order to identify the criminal. But this was done in reverse. They did the lineup, only they brought people in from the street to the prison and had the criminals behind the double mirror. And the prisoners looking at this lineup of just people off of the street would invariably select when they, you know, they were asked, of all, you know, there you have 10 people in front of you. Which one would you attack? Invariably, a 
very significant number of the criminals would pick the same person out of a lineup. Nine people or whatever number would be left alone and most of the criminals would be attracted to that particular one. And 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 if you ask them why, there's there's no why except the law of resonance. So to start to show up as love. Now people say, well, yeah, well, when life gets nicer, then I'll start loving. Well, loving isn't something that you do; it's something that you are. But if you're going to wait, if you're if you're already in a world of violence, if you're already in a world of upset, disturbance, fear, rage, guilt, grief pain, drama, or trauma, if you're going to wait until life starts to show up delivering something other than what you're already carrying within you, you're going to wait a long, long time for the results you'd like. When you start weakening, forgiving the frequencies of generational and and cultural patterns of hostility or fear and start consciously, purposely choosing to bring love present to your mind and into your physiology, then life's going to change its game. And you know what? You're not going to have to say a word to bring about that result. It's simply resonance. People have talked about the law of attraction. And people talk about using, say, for instance, affirmations to force things to be true that aren't. The person in poverty affirms, I have wealth, I have wealth, I have wealth. Big mistake. We have a tool called a mind shifter. People sometimes call what we call a mind shifter an affirmation, trying to pretend something's true that isn't. But what we suggest is that you recognize that if there's a part of your mind that goes against what it is that you're affirming, you better deal with that part of your mind. Or by affirming what you want, if what moves in your mind is, oh, I'll never have that, then you'll never have it. So what we do with the mind shifter is we suggest that people take a piece of paper, draw a line down the middle, write the mind shifter on the left side of the page, and then write everything that comes up in response to it through resonance. Example I usually use is, let's imagine we've got a young man that lives in poverty. And there's all kinds of relationship difficulties. So I give him a mind shifter. And the mind shifter is, I have all the time, money, wisdom, energy, and love I need to accomplish all of my aspirations. So that's his mind shifter. We're going to suggest he write it on the left side of the page. There's a dividing line on the page. Now, what's the first thing when you you hear me say to you, you have all the time, money, intelligence, energy, wisdom, and love you need to accomplish all your aspirations? What's the first thing? Well, that's just baloney. I can't even pay my bills. What are you talking about? Run out of thoughts, write the mind shifter. Can I have all the time, the money, energy, and love I need to accomplish all my aspirations? Why, that's just ridiculous. I repossessed my car just a month ago. Now, you might write five pages in response to writing that mind shifter once, or you might have to write the mind shifter ten times before your mind starts to loosen up what's in there. 
But through resonance, you know, the idea of the mind shifter is we're going to provide a resonant frequency that will cause hidden things in your mind that need to be worked through to surface. So a mind shifter, by definition, our definition of a mind shifter is it's a thought about an issue in your life around which you have negative thoughts, and it's the opportunity to surface, process, and release the negative thoughts. So if the natural state, and I'll offer that's what it is, of the human being is abundance, but there's poverty, then there's the frequency, the energy within that individual of poverty. Perhaps it's been going on in the bloodline for a thousand generations, and if wealth showed up, the first thing that would happen would be, well, as a matter of fact, there's a, there's a pretty good example if you look at the research of people who've won the lottery. A very high percentage, and I couldn't quote the numbers, but you could Google it and find out, a very, very high percentage of people who win the lottery within a year or two are broke again. Totally, completely broke. Why? I mean, you think about that. Gee, somebody just won $5 million. Somebody who's lived their whole lives in poverty wins $5 million. Now, this person hasn't spent more than $10,000 a year in all of their lives. And here they've got $5 million. How could they possibly grow bro- go broke? It's called the law of resonance. They will draw in people who will find a way to empty their pockets and then on up desolate and on the street again. And what this understanding does is it acknowledges that we are creators and we create according to what we hold within us. You know, if you read the opening words in the book of John in the New Testament, which is thought to be a book about religion, what we're told is that those words say, in the beginning was the word and the word became flesh. If you go to the Aramaic language, the actual translation of those words is, in the beginning was the mind energy and the mind energy became flesh. People whose mind energy is hate and fear and rage and sadness and guilt and grief and gossip and slander Their physiology is challenged by carrying those frequencies because they're they're not designed to carry those frequencies. Our human physiology ultimately is designed to carry active present love into the world. So if you find yourself that this is a new piece of information and you go, oh, Gee, I didn't know I was designed for that. Now your work begins, and your work will be twofold. One side of the project will be that of forgiveness. No, not letting other people off the hook because of whatever's gone on in your life, but rather applying the tool of forgiveness to remove the frequencies, the energetic patterns that have run your life so far. That's what forgiveness is. Churchiani turned that on its head and made forgiveness about, of course, the reason why I'm in poverty is because of you, but it's okay, I'll forgive you. In this work, 
specializing in forgiveness, I will say, never, ever, ever forgive anybody for anything. And especially never forgive yourself. And most people are confused because, well, Michael, I thought your work was about forgiveness. Yeah, that's what it's about. Forgive continuously, but never forgive anybody. We've been given a totally, completely false definition. We've been told a lie that forgiveness is about how I'm in pain because of you, not because of the resonance in me that drew you to do what you're doing to me. And, of course, the reason I'm in pain, I'm in trauma, or I'm in poverty is because of you, but it's okay. I'll let you off the hook for that. That is probably the most tragic, disastrous lie that has ever been told to the world because actual forgiveness was disappeared. When you hear the words in the ancient teachings that say, you must forgive from your heart the wrongs of your brother, that's not a bleeding heart statement that you're supposed to, you know, with sorrow or sadness or grief or whatever, you forgive from your heart. The heart in our modern updated language is the unconscious. You must remove from your heart that which you, the wrongs, the energetic patterns that you put into your brain's image of your brother and through resonance draw on behaviors out of him to match what you hold about him and or about yourself. So there's a whole technology of forgiveness which has been completely shattered by the world. So forgiveness is a tool with which you collapse your own perceptual constructs and by so doing, dropping into the hidden parts of your own mind and removing the energetic patterns that don't belong there. The idea of the mind shifter is to show you what to apply forgiveness to. So our young man who I gave him the mind shifter, I have all the time, intelligence, money, energy, wisdom, and love I need to accomplish all my aspirations, writes and writes and writes, and finally he gets in touch with, you know, oh, geez, I can remember, you know, the last time I saw my father, he and my mom had a big fight over money, and he left and he never came back. Bingo, major core issue for forgiveness. That's where he made the link that money destroys relationships. So now if money comes near him, all of a sudden the relationship he's in leaves and they're destroyed. Because as creators, the mind energy we hold to literally becomes flesh, becomes physiology. Literally, what the cell biologists are showing us in the laboratory is when you think a thought, that thought produces an actual literal molecule in your structure. It's called a neuropeptide. And that neuropeptide circulates around your structure until it finds a cell with a receptor site that matches. When the neuropeptide lands on that cell, because there's literally a a resonating antenna for it, there's a place for it to land, then what the cell biologists are showing us is that that frequency is replicated inside the cell. Mind energy becomes flesh. And if we were watching from the inside, if we were watching that cell, 
from the inside what we would see coming into the cell as the neuropeptide inserts itself or is replicated. Some scientists are saying that the cell replicates it. My offering is that actually when the neuropeptide lands on the cell, it inserts itself. If we were watching it insert, what we see showing up in the cell is what we call chemistry. Mind energy becomes chemistry, literally flesh. You want to produce disease chemistry? Hey, just step into the dis-ease energies of rage and guilt and fear and hate and vengeance. Watch how quickly the device you have called the body-mind unit starts to fall apart from its diseases. You want to begin the healing process? Then remove the dis-ease frequencies that are destroying you. Pain is simply a signal that the structure is holding some form of dis-ease energy. And these patterns have been going on for so long, people will sit around forever and try and figure it out, as Michael was saying. If you listen to our codependency interdependence intensive or workshop, you'll see that I I list what I call a a number of the pseudo-solutions of the non-being mind, and the number one pseudo-solution is if I could just figure this out. Notice Michael mentioned that. Most people sit around trying to figure it out. You can't figure it out. But you can forgive it. At any given moment, you can take any untoward energy that you hold in you, engage in the process of forgiveness, and reach the next depth and the next level of what needs to be worked through. And as that happens, trauma tends to disappear. So in a nutshell, that's the understanding we're here to support people engaging in. And as far as how do you do that, well, that's a whole conversation. You know, this afternoon, if you want to join us for a worksheet at 3.30, I'm going to be doing the Hear My Voice book club out of London, England. It's actually 8.30 in London. And today we're going to do a worksheet with someone. So if you'd like to tap into that, if you go to today's notes, and you do that by going to our website, whyagain.org, there's a microphone on the page. Click the microphone, drill down to today's show, and Jeannie's put notes there. And there's a Zoom link. Click the Zoom link and join us at 3.30 Eastern Time. It'll be 8.30 in London. So you can walk through a worksheet with us today. There's also, if you go to our website, whyagain.org, in the upper left-hand corner, there's a link that says, Start Here. Click the Start Here link. It'll walk you right through many, many, many radio shows where we've walked someone right through the whole forgiveness process. So all the tools are there, and we're here to support you in using them. Take it and put it to work. The purpose of this show is to answer questions, is to keep the conversation going within ourselves so that we 
individually and collectively remember who we are and to create support and understanding for how to use the tools. You can also go to your app store on your phone, whatever phone you've got, and type in the words Heartland, one word, H-E-A-R-T-L-A-N-D, Aramaic, A-R-A-M-A-I-C, forgiveness. If you type in Heartland Aramaic Forgiveness, you'll be looking at the world's only forgiveness app. Download it, click it, start it, and you're off to the races. There are two different forms of the reality management or forgiveness worksheet there. There's also a children's game called the Dragon Klingon game, which introduces forgiveness to children. Put those tools to work. If you have questions, if you start to use those tools and you're in the middle, you know, let's say you're on step three of the worksheet and you just don't get what that step is about, there's a link there you can click. You can ask your question. You can type it in. Hit send. Jeannie will introduce your question in the next radio show. We'll answer it and then send you back a link with which you can listen to the answer directly in the archives of the radio show. So join us this afternoon if you'd like to do a worksheet and or if you're using the worksheet process or any of the tools that we teach, ask the question by pushing one. If you're on one of those stations where we can't see you, our call-in number is 563-999-3581. If you call that number, you're listening to the show directly. And if you have a question or a thought, push one. Raise your hand in the control panel, and we'll be rocking with you. So, Miss Jeannie, do everybody in the phone queue with a hand up or anything happening in the chat room? Any other thoughts for you or anything as you're looking at what you've been reading from, uh, from uh, Michael's book? Uh, no, I don't have any other thoughts. You covered that very well, as usual. Um, you can sit with us in the chat room. There are no questions on the switchboard. If somebody presses one, we have 17 minutes. We have plenty of time. Or I think Let's I talk about it. One. Yay. So you're out there in this land. Oh, we got What's a hand happening up. for you? Oh, great. Let's say hello. Okay. I believe it's Dusty904. You are on the air. Welcome. Well, aloha, everybody. Um, aloha, good Michael, sir. Welcome. Is, good to hear your voice. Yes, thank you. You too. And you're in a fine voice today. And I really um, enjoyed your um, talk on resonance and how powerful that was. And um, uh, I had a, just a couple things on that because it was uh, so nicely done. Um I was doing a Schladnese, I don't know if I said that name right, uh, uh, experiment, you know, where he took a, a plate on a violin and put Lycodium powder and could get different patterns and um, by different frequencies. Right. And then... Um, cymatics. And another... Cymatics, exactly. And uh, yep. anyways, a lot of that through the year, and I was so glad to hear you say that. And this thing about... 
uh, the prison lineup um, was very elucidating and tied in with uh, something that I'm thinking maybe um, all those in uh, radio land that are listening might get a kick out of um, because I mean that was so uh, so clear that they would all pick pretty much the same person. I knew that and the most amazing woman a long time ago. She was 10 years younger than me to the day. I think she was 22 or something at the time. And I knew her in, uh, on the big island in Hawaii, and she was a vagabonder. And, I mean, in terms of she just, you know, she could travel with a pack on her back anywhere. And nothing stuck to her. Some people, you know, they get noticed, you know, and, uh, and people have attitudes wherever they go about that person, but not her. And of all the people I ever knew, she could go anywhere in the world with a pack on her back, a single woman, and be safer than if she was a whole squad of infantrymen. I mean, she, she just... Nothing stuck to her. She could go right through the heart of the worst part of town. And she had zero victim consciousness resonance, which is, I guess, kind of the opposite of what your guys did in the lineup. And um, I mean, I asked her about that because I noticed a little, uh, to a degree. And her, you know, her part of her her explanation was, well, it helps if you're a little above average looking, but not too good looking and not this, that, and the other, but mostly it was just how she was. She was clean and would never attract anything negative. I've never seen anybody quite like her, and that to me was a good example of what you were talking about on a positive sense of uh, that resonance about people and attracting people. And I will say that it was a pleasure knowing somebody like that. And uh, for anybody out there that sometimes like, I mean, I suppose most of us at one time or another walk into situations that are uh, pretty dicey, she wouldn't, she would just slide on through and no problem. And um, so anyways, yeah, that thing about residents, thank you for that. That was really good. Yeah, and, you know, you bring up that cymatics thing. Anybody who's not familiar with it, just go to YouTube and type in cymatics. And there are all kinds of videos that are just really powerful visual demonstrations of how frequency organizes things. And you watch enough of that, and you get to start to realize that you are a frequency being. And that the frequencies yes. you engage in, I mean, when you watch the cymatics and the shapes and patterns and forms that different frequencies create, you realize that's all that your so-called body is. It isn't a physical thing. It's just a set of frequencies that are resonating and uh, and that you can change your resonance. You can remove what never belonged. You know, the, the generational patterns of rage or hate or fear can be removed and replaced and when that happens literally the whole physio you know if 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 a particular energy impacts let's say the liver someone's liver is going to be destroyed 
And if you go in and remove the frequencies from the liver that don't belong, the liver can go back to its perfect pattern. It's, it wants to. It's designed. Everything's designed to regenerate itself in the image and likeness of the original frequency that set it up, the perfect. But when we superimpose those other energetic patterns, all of a sudden it looks like, well, you know, you do that for a couple dozen generations and disease and death and suffering look pretty normal. But they're not. They're anomalies. Right on. Uh, nice. Um, yeah, and I see a lot of that going on um, these days. Uh, of course, I'm in a, a tourist place. It's pretty pretty transient. But um, that um, that whole thing about being a set of frequencies, it's, uh, I mean, that's just been a part of my life, my whole life, pretty much. And right. I have to be really... Uh, I mean, I really do. I need to be careful about my own mind. What am I thinking about? What am I dwelling on now? Am I on some, you know, or you know, something that's not productive? Because, right. Uh, I mean, it's it's just a never-ending. Um, because I'm a, I, I'm finding I'm, I don't know if it's typical or not, but I I always seem to have something I'm thinking. Uh, my my brain is con- I'm constantly having thoughts and uh, sometimes it's just mind a- energy. Often it's just a song. I'll have a song. I'll be playing a song in my head. Um, but so when one has a, a mind has a mind of its own, so to speak, at times right. uh, I have to I have to monitor myself. I, I and uh, mm-hmm. do little things to keep track of my own um, right. idiot thoughts, you know, the ones that don't serve, as it were. Yeah. Which That's are, actually a chapter in my which book. Are just, yeah. yeah. The body has a mind of its own. A, a large amount. Yes, a mind of its own. And and it, I'm a little disturbed when I really take my own um, inventory about how much of my mind just goes off on itself, and it's counterproductive. So, um, and that's one thing that music helps me keep together because it's all about frequency and harmony and melody and right. blah, 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 and all that, and that really helps me. That's a, that's just been like a gift from the gods, as it were, and uh, I appreciate that. And that your talk was, I, I hope... Um, People that heard that let it sink in because it's a big thing. This resonance. And well, oh, by you know, the way, you're, yeah, man. No, ahead. you go ahead with that thought, and I'll I'll come in with no, the other. No, no, it was separate. Go ahead. You, you do tell me. Well, when you look at the uh, let's say let's take an example of a television set. If I'm sitting watching TV and somebody pulls into the driveway with a poorly tuned car, all of a sudden the picture on my TV goes crazy, goes distorted. It becomes diseased. And I can go in and try to, you know, surgery that TV and change resistors in it and put new parts in it, new tubes. Nothing's going to change the reflection that is diseased in the picture of the sound until I remove the interfering frequency. 
And yeah. each station that I tune to has what they call it, which I know with your electronics background, we share this one, which is kind of cool, that has a carrier frequency that brings a signal into the TV, and then the TV decodes the signal, and that's where the picture and the sound come from. And music... I, th I think this is a really important key, too, is that music is a carrier. You know, many people, if they want to remember something, you're teaching a kid, what do you do? You put it in a song. And then, you know, mm -hmm. 10, 20, 50 years later, all that ch kid has to do is hum that tune and they remember the words. And the tune is like a carrier. And sadly, a lot of the words, a lot of the frequencies that are being fed to kids are tragic and insane. Yeah, and a lot of people yeah. are destroying themselves and their lives, lives by engaging in music, the carrier wave of music that they like and they jiggle to, and everything moves, which means it's going into every cell in the structure, and then the destructive frequencies that are coming with the words can be a tragedy. So it's a, I think it's a really important thing, especially for young people to understand, to that you stay away from music that carries frequencies of death and destruction, which so much of it has got today. Yeah, right on. And, um, yeah, and I, uh, I would say a couple of the more rewarding um, things in my life had to do with just what you said in a sense. Um, I played a couple of different times. Um, one time was a solo. And I was hired to by this woman to go to this uh, assisted living or whatever it was called, this pretty high-end place, and play because her mother was right. there. And, uh -huh. and I didn't know until a night before that her mother was in what they called the memory ward. And I didn't know what that oh, was yeah. except I mean, I'd never care. heard yep. it before. Yeah, yeah. And I went, oh, my goodness, this but you know, Alzheimer's I mean, dementia, obvious, right on. And and um, so I went, oh my goodness. So what I had to do was real quick that night grab my horn and play anything that they would have known as as girls, young women, because that's what they were going to remember. Right. And and so it's I a got Glenn there, Miller thing. Yeah, 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 and it was pretty hard for me to be Glenn Miller and his orchestra, but I did my best. And but it it was just as simple as maybe playing something like "America the Beautiful" on on my horn, just just a just like a, a nice intro, and then singing it and having them sing with me. And Michael, Jeannie, anybody that's listening, I was one of the most Oh, uplifting, heartwarming moments in my life because the moment I started doing that, and there was about, oh gosh, there was probably 15 of them, and they came out, they came out like, like a rag doll, hanging down, nobody's home. As soon as I started yep. playing tunes that they knew and they had good associations with, they sat up straight and they had a glint in their eyes, and they all started singing, and they were joyful. They were rocking. <laughs> yep. Yeah, they were, and it, Powerful. Was, and it could be the corniest thing in the world, or, the, or not. 
it didn't make any difference as long as it was right. of their uh, their you know memory, their life. Time frame. And uh, you know, yes. And uh, I, oh man, I wish I could share that image. Uh, I mean, I can try here in words, but I mean, I mean, from literally sitting in the chair, hungover looking down to just sitting straight up with bright eyes and going, yay, joy. Uh, wow. Wow. Nothing like bringing life. Oh, man, it was. Thank you. And, um, yeah, yeah. And Thank you that's for giving them that times. gift. Thank you. Yes, okay, yes. Yeah, and uh, I appreciate you saying that. And, um Oh, I have a friend up in Indiana. Yep. A friend up in Indiana that's a singer, and one of the things that his, he's a member of a small group of people, and their focal point is going into nursing homes and uh, doing performances. And he's shared with me just how heartwarming it is to watch, you know, the kind of response that you're talking about and bringing people back to life, quite literally. Yes. Yeah, I mean, yay! Let's. <laughs> and I don't know much what else will do do that. I mean, a cattle prod might get them going for a moment, but uh, yeah, it's that music. It's just got the it's got the goods, and um, I'm glad that they're doing that because more and more I think about doing that. But now they've got it. Oh God, all these all these places want you to fill out all these. W whatever forms and do this that and the other and it's not a matter of just just showing up is it, like it used to like it was even a few years ago but right I'm still on I'm still on tap I lost you Jeannie are you there Hello. Well, I don't know if anybody can hear me, but uh, I just lost you if you are if you're still there, and it just dropped. Everything's just gone. Okay. Well, then uh, our apology for the line being cut off. Uh, Jean just came in and told me something happened, and uh, don't know what it is, but. We're down to just the last few seconds, so we'll just say thank you for your input, Dusty, holding a space for you. And please, next time I see you, bring the horn, not the cattle prod. And everybody, have the best year yet of your eternal life. It's an awesome gift to give the world. Blessings. Bye-bye.